Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. Okay, I'd like you to turn your Bibles this morning and... Uh... We won't be able to finish our introduction from last Sunday, but we'll continue on it and trust to finish it on a subsequent Sunday. So let's turn to the book of Revelation. And I want to turn again to Revelation chapter 5. And just again, as always, for time's sake, I want to pick up in verse 5 through to verse 10. Revelation 5 and verses 5 through to verse 10. Revelation chapter 5 and verses 5 through to verse 10. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, a better translation than beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. uh, the, The Greek thought there is actually the the lamb is standing as it had been freshly slain. The sacrifice of Christ this morning, as we've been partaking of the lamb this morning, is as fresh this morning as it was when it took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago. Can you say amen this morning? The atonement is ever fresh. There will never anything be, there will never be anything stale about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. All other animal sacrifices became stale and corrupted, but the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is eternally fresh. That's the whole thought of, of the word slain there. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, freshly slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours, or literally full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. (coughs) And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Pray that the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Now, if you were not able to be here last Sunday morning, I'd like to encourage you to either purchase the tape or borrow the tape, uh, because as I was praying, after listening to a number of the tapes that have been going while I've been away the several Sundays, uh, listening to the word, uh, I felt the Lord just directed me that I was to share with the church in the next number of Sundays a series entitled The Church and Spiritual Warfare. Everybody say that with me. The Church and Spiritual Warfare. Say it again. The Church and Spiritual Warfare. And uh, if you were not here last Sunday, uh, we did mention that we would run off a few more of the copies of the prophetic word that came to Waverley Christian Fellowship during the special uh, indoor family camp meetings with Emmanuel Kenestracy. So there are a few, I believe, uh, out in the foyer and you can see one of the uh, ushers there I think they're in the uh, receptionist desk there so if you did not get the prophetic word that's come to the body here now 
as we've been reading through the prophetic word and wanting to war good warfare by the prophecies that have gone on before us, uh, with all the different things that the Lord has spoken to us and the different themes uh, flowing through the prophetic word, we found just uh, reviewing very briefly uh, word last Sunday morning that there were two, uh, two uh, uh, themes that are emphasised throughout the prophetic word and the first one was the whole theme of spiritual warfare. We found that there was a word, uh, particularly to the men of the church on the Saturday morning men's breakfast, of warfare. I'm not going to repeat it all of what I said last Sunday morning, but uh, uh, draw your attention again to it. And then there was a prophetic word uh, concerning spiritual warfare that was given to the congregation as a whole. And then uh, there was a, a special word concerning uh, spiritual warfare and weapons of war that was given to the women of the church and to Reen and her responsibility in relation to women's ministry. Then another theme that I found as I was going through the prophetic word uh, amidst the many things the Lord has told us to do and be prepared for uh, was the theme also of spiritual worship. So we have spiritual warfare and spiritual worship and two of the tapes particularly mention about the, the, uh, the excelling in worship and a new release in worship and uh, the worship that was come to the church. Then, as I said, I've been listening to the various tapes by the uh, various ministries uh, locally and any visiting ministries just to keep up with the uh, flow of ev- anything uh, or just flow of everything the Lord's saying to the church. Personally, I hate to miss a meeting here, don't you? Uh, I said, don't you ask your question. I hate to miss a meeting because I'm just always frightened that might be the meeting God might break forth on the church and then people say, oh, it was a powerful meeting, Kevin, you should have been there. Yeah, it always happens when I'm not there. And then I, I, I don't like the people saying to me, Kevin, I won't be at the meeting tonight, I'll be there in spirit. I don't like preaching to spirits. I like to be here. Uh, bodily, physically, spiritually, mentally, just my whole being. I hate to miss anything, you know, I miss a service, so I get very agitated with the devil when he knocks me cold like he did this week. Anyway, you've just got to have a lot of resilience around this place. All right, so spiritual warfare and spiritual worship. Then in our first uh, session last Sunday morning, we uh, mentioned how Uh, In this uh, fellowship we sing a lot of songs about spiritual warfare. I have about 20 listed here from our book here. Many, many songs on warfare. But the challenge is is this uh, at the start is it's possible to sing about war uh, but do we really understand what the war is about? It's wonderful to clap our hands and jump up and down and I enjoy it all and syncopate and offbeat and off clap hands offbeat and be offbeat generation with the offbeat kids. Uh, everything, don't take that bad. Okay, but uh, do we really know what the war is about? Do we really know who our enemies are, who we're really fighting? Uh, are we overcomers or are we being overcome? Are we winners or losers? Are we victorious or defeated? That's what the whole thing is about. Who are we really fighting? What's the war really about? Now, as we saw last Sunday, we find that uh, throughout the Word of God, God takes various men, various women, and uh, as it were, He sort of emphasizes uh, special characteristics, special qualities, uh, or ministries or offices through them uh, to try and communicate truth to us because truth is so vast. And we saw how He chose Abraham. 
as a man of faith, Moses, uh, quality of meekness, uh, meekness. Enoch, uh, representing the translation of the saints, Paul, as a man of uh, revelation of the word, John, the apostle of love, Jeremiah, uh, a, a prophet of sorrow, the weeping, uh, the weeping prophet, weeping over Jerusalem. And then, of course, the one that we uh, touched on very briefly was the man that God chose as a, a worshipper and a warrior is the man who? Everybody say it. David. David is the man that God chooses out of all the men in the Bible. The moment, uh, the moment I think of faith, I think of Abraham. The moment I think of meekness, I think of Moses, everyone apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment I think of love, I think of the apostle. The moment I think of a, a man of sorrows, I think of Jeremiah. But the moment I think of worship and warfare, I think of King David. He's the man that God has chosen. And if you were not here last Sunday, I, I gave uh, Isaiah chapter 55. I'm not turning to it. But Isaiah 55 verses 1 through to 4 where the Lord said, I've chosen David and given him to be a witness, a leader and a commander to the people. And so David is the witness, David is the leader, David is the commander, David is the worshipper warrior. And I put it in that order for uh, our purpose this morning. Then we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David. The Lord Jesus Christ is the root and offspring of David, David's son, yet David's Lord. Then the last thing that we finished up on Sunday morning uh, was this, that the book of Revelation is a book of warfare and it's also a book of worship. So we went through a number of scriptures in the book of Revelation emphasizing the whole aspect of warfare and uh, so forth. So we won't take time uh, to go through those scriptures again. Now my point was this, that most of us are conscious of the fact that up in the hills, particularly in Dandenong, as also around Australia, there are many, many Satanist churches that have risen in the last number of years. And whether we like to admit it or not, and not just be the proverbial emu, the Australian emu that pulls its head in the sand, puts its head in the sand and waits till the storm blows over and says, she'll be right, mate. We are at war, saints. We are at spiritual war. For, how many can say amen to that? Amen. We are at war whether we like it or not. And Waverley Christian Fellowship, as well, as well as a lot of other churches, particularly Pentecostal churches, churches that are moving, we are on the hit list with the Satanist churches up in the hills, whether we like it or not now. That's not to cause you to panic or run away or anything like that. It's just facing the facts of life. We are on the hit list. And so there's a tremendous lot of things going on in various churches well around Melbourne. Spiritual warfare, attack against leadership, attack against families, attack against marriages, and, and some of the things that are on the hit list. See, we, as I said, whether we like it or not, uh, saints, we have to face this. We are at warfare. And as I said, the enemy cannot destroy the church from without. He'll try and destroy the church from within. It's not the grub outside the apple that can destroy the apple. It's when the grub gets inside the apple. Uh, is that right? I'm not calling you a lot of grubs this morning, so it's all right, hang in there. All right, so it's the grub in the apple that is the danger. So the enemy cannot destroy the church from without, but he'll seek to destroy the church from within. So Satanist churches, you know, there are two major things are worshipping Satan and warfare against the church. 
So there is Satan, the Satanist church is just multiplying throughout Australia because uh, it may frighten us, may not. But you see, all the world, we were created to worship somebody or something. And all the world is going to either end up worshipping God or worshipping Satan. That's just that simple. I want to be a worshipper of the true God, don't you? Not the God of this world. So in Satanist churches, they're into Satan worship, and in their times of Satan worship, they have Satan warfare against certain churches, against leaders of churches, against Christian marriages. That's on the hit list. And so Satan hates every man, because every man, when God created Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply, uh, uh, back there, it was a new creation. The angelic host didn't understand it. When Lucifer and the fallen angels saw God create this man and then create this woman and told them to be fruitful, multiply, that was an absolute new creation because angels, they never marry. There's no Mr. and Mrs. Angel up there and so all these stupid Cupid uh, things you see about little baby angels with little butterfly wings and, you know, little dolly angels. That's a lot of hogwash. And I said that purposely because hogs, it's piggish, you know. So, a lot of hogwash. So, uh, you know, there's no little baby angels. So, you don't see Mr. and Mrs. Angel. Will you have this angel to be your awful wedded wife? I mean, no, your lawful wedded wife. That's right. You're Some think it's awful instead of lawful. But, yeah, it's not, not talking about that, okay? So, there were no little baby angels coming forth. So, when God created the man, created the woman, said, be fruitful, multiply, that was a new creation because an angel had never seen a wife before. A wife, a woman, what's that? Um, uh, angels had never seen babies before. You know, there'd never been any baby angels. See, so... So, uh, though man was made a little lower than the angels, God had a purpose for man. See, so, so Satan hates the family today. He's out, uh, he's out to destroy every, every man because every man uh, represents a husband, represents Christ. He's out to destroy women today uh, because the woman is a type of the church. He's out to destroy virginity. Whatever you may have in, uh, ideas in mind, but when you talk about uh, the book of Revelation and about the church, the virgin bride of Christ, or 144,000 virgins, whatever you think, the devil knows what that means and the devil knows the Bible better than we do. So there's a corruption of virginity today and the attack on the daughters in this house and, and the daughters of leadership in this house and other churches. There's more in what I'm saying than meets the ear. There's an attack on children today because the children represent the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman was to bruise the serpent's head. Why do you think there are millions of abortions going on throughout the world today? Because I intimated last Sunday subtly that the ultimate promise of that is the seed of the woman is to bruise the serpent's head. In Revelation 12 we see that woman and we see the ultimate seed that bruises the serpent's head. So Satan's out to destroy every child on the face of the earth. So Satanist churches are particularly out to destroy Christian marriages and Christian leadership. So that's where we finish. Let me just give you two or three scriptures without turning to them. Paul exhorts us on this whole area of warfare. 
So just put down the references if you're taking notes. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We are to war a good warfare by the prophetic word that has come over to us, as Paul wrote to Timothy. War a good warfare by the prophecies that have gone on over you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. We won't turn to it. Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, and says, I want you to endure hardness, not, to, not enjoy it, okay? I don't enjoy it, but endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. So all of us are chosen to be soldiers. We're conscripted in this war. Uh, this is not a, a holiday cruise. It's a, it's a battleship. Okay? If you think the, sh- the, the ship is a holiday cruise, you better get off next port or in a battleship. So, uh, all right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Listen to this one. Ephesians 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. And we'll be dealing with this in due time. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand and having done all to stand in the evil day. So onward Christian soldiers, not onward chocolate soldiers. Okay. Chocolate soldiers are wonderful while they're in the church of the first Frigidia. But put them out to battle, they melt. Lovely to sing onward Christian soldiers while you're in the first church of the Frigidia with God's frozen people, uh, chosen people, I mean they're frozen. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, take unto you the whole arm of God. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We'll be talking about those weapons of warfare in an appropriate time. One last scripture on this whole thought of warfare, and then I want to move on in the uh, book of Revelation on the second thought here. Psalm 144 and verse 1. And this is the Psalm of David, Psalm 144, verse 1. He teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight so that a bow of steel is broken in my hand. That's warfare, isn't it? So David, he teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight so that a bow of steel is broken in my hand. So David was a worshipper and a warrior. So I've given you enough scriptures on warfare. We looked at the whole thought of warfare uh, last week. Now, for our no- last number of moments here, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation with me. We not only sing a lot of warfare songs in the fellowship here, we sing a lot of beautiful worship songs, and I've just listed several of them here. Worship Him. Uh, I worship you, Almighty God. Come and worship, Royal Priesthood. Come into the Holy of Holies. Uh, commune with me. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Let our worship ascend unto thee. Majesty, worship his majesty. We worship and adore thee and many, many others. So we have numerous songs of warfare and many, many songs, numerous songs of worship here. Now, as we've been looking at David and referring to him as a a worshipper and a warrior, I want to put it in that order, order that David was first a worshipper than a warrior. And I believe that David was a great warrior because he was a great worshipper. 
weak churches in weak in worship are weak in warfare. Strong in worship, strong in warfare. There's a distinction there. We, as we worship the Lord, He strengthens us in worship to go forth in warfare. Can we say amen this morning? So there's a definite link there. David was a warrior, he was a worshipper, but not first a warrior, first a worshipper, then a warrior. Now, as we look at the Psalms of David, we see many of David's Psalms are Psalms of worship, and many of the Psalms are Psalms of worship, uh, war, warfare. So David had Psalms of worship, Psalms of warfare. Now, as we come to the book of Revelation, we have actually seven worship scenes that I want to take you through in our uh, last moments here. Seven worship scenes that are seen in the book of Revelation. So Revelation is a book of warfare. It's also a book of worship. Let's go to our first worship scene. I want to give you sort of a capsule of what the whole worship scene is about in these seven worship scenes in the book of Revelation, the book of worship. All right. The first worship scene we have is Revelation chapter 4. And verses 8 through, to tw- uh, 8 through to 11. Revelation chapter 4 and verses 8 through to 12. And the four living creatures had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, just exactly what we're singing this morning, Holy, holy, holy. Christ, holy God, the Father is holy, the Son is holy, the Spirit is holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, past tense, and is, present tense, and is to come, future tense. In other words, the eternal. And when those uh, living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him, that lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and they were created. All right, number one, the first worship scene, and I just want to give you a sort of a capsule thought here, the first worship scene here is about the throne, the throne of God. Twelve times at least, maybe fourteen, yes, Fourteen times in all the Greek word thronos is used in chapter 4 and chapter 5. But particularly in chapter, chapter 4, there's a throne set in heaven and one sitting upon the throne and round that throne are four living ones and, and uh, 24 elders all seated on thrones. The whole emphasis is on the throne. And when they see that throne, John is just... Uh, uh, being in the Spirit and seeing the condition of the seven churches there in Revelation chapter 1, 2 and 3. And now suddenly he's caught up in the Spirit and he sees a throne that's set up in heaven and one is on the throne. How many are glad for that throne this morning? Amen. Thrones of earth may rise and fall and topple, but there's a throne that will never fall. The throne of God this morning. And that throne rules over the affairs of heaven and it rules over the affairs on earth. And the thrones of earth, they may change their occupants, but this throne will never be changed as the King of kings and Lord of lords in it. Unchangeable occupant in that throne. In fact, it's referred to as the throne of God and the Lamb. How many are glad for that throne this morning? So when John sees the throne, 
the four living ones, the 24 elders, fell down and worshipped. First worship scene. Worship scene number two is found in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 through to 14. We just haven't got time to read all the passage, but let me give you the key, uh, the central capsule thought, what the worship scene is about here. The worship scene in Revelation 5, verses 11 through to 14, is about the book. And notice this, worship scene number one is about the throne. Worship scene number two is about the book. Let me just describe the scene briefly to you. In verse 1, John sees in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the back side it was sealed with seven seals. Now you've heard me say this many, many times and I'll continue to say it. As John is worshipping around that throne, he sees a book in the hand of him that sat upon the throne. And he weeps much because nobody was worthy to open the book and break the seals thereof. And so as he began to weep, one of the elders said, Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the book and to break the seals thereof. So the lamb takes the book out of him that sits upon the throne out of his hand. And before he breaks one of the seals, what happens? The four living ones, the 24 elders, and thousands upon thousands of angels fell down and worshipped the lamb. And then as the lamb and all heaven began to worship, then he began to break the seals of the book. Now I've said it before many, many times, I say it again. Worship precedes the breaking of the seals of the book. That's the principle. One of the things that distresses me quite a lot, particularly when I minister in ministers' conferences, is how many ministers have an attitude that the first part of the service is like the amusement part of the service. You know, we get the people in a good mood, they've had a bad day, they've had a bad week, had a fight with the wife and the kids on the way to the church or something like that. So you've got to have a fast one, a slow one, a heavy one, a soft one. Just get the people in a good mood because they're not ready to receive the word. Well, we don't believe that in Waverly Christian Fellowship, do we? Amen? What do we believe in Waverly Christian Fellowship? We believe that worship precedes the opening of the word. Is that right? Is that right? I ask you a question. Is that right? Worship precedes the opening of the word. So it's not the amusement part, all that we've gone through this morning with Mark and the leadership and the choir and orchestra and the musicians. The whole thing is worship precedes the opening of the book. And I find it very difficult unless there's an atmosphere of worship to open the word. Worship releases the word. Worshipping churches are word churches. That's the principle. So there was worship around the book. Quickly, worship scene number three. Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter seven. And verse 11 and 12 is the third worship scene. And just summarizing our capsule here, what is the worship scene about here? The worship scene concerns the tribulation saints. We can't digress on any of these things, but... Verse 10, and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne, and uh, which sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb, and all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four living ones, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honour, and power, and might 
be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And then the elders say, who are these arrayed in white robes? And he said, I don't know. And he said, these are they. And apparently the Greek thought is, these are they which are coming out of tribulation, the great one, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the whole worship scene there concerns the tribulation saints. All right, worship scene number four quickly is found in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11 and verses 16, or verse 15 uh, through to 19 if you're taking down the references. Worship scene number four, Revelation 11, verses 15 to 19. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Then we have the words of, their, of the worship there. Verse 19 tells us, The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. Let me summarize or capsule and capsule the whole thought of the worship scene here. The fourth worship scene in the book of Revelation concerns the seventh trumpet, or literally the last trumpet, trumpet pertaining to the coming of the Lord, where he says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord, the Father, and of his Christ, the Son, and he shall reign forever and ever. Everybody said hallelujah. So the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, trumpet I believe pertaining to the coming of the Lord, so the fourth worship scene. Worship scene number five is found in Revelation chapter 14. Seven worship scenes in the book of Revelation, a book of, war, of warfare and a book of worship. All right, uh, worship scene number five is Revelation 14, and for your, uh, your address here, verses 1 through to 5. And just to encapsulate uh, the thought here, the worship scene here concerns the 144,000 who are on heavenly Mount Zion and the particular song they sing. I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having in the, uh, the up-to-date translations having his name and his father's name written in their forehead. The name of the father and of the son uh, which is involved in receiving the name of the Godhead in water baptism. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no man could learn that song. But the 144,000 want you to listen to a peculiar expression I can't explain here, which were redeemed from the earth. Redeemed from the earth. And in verse 4, they were redeemed from among men. The, the language is so unbelievably loaded. Redeemed from the earth and redeemed from among men. The sixth worship scene, and let me summarize the worship scene, what it's about. It's concerning the seven last plagues containing the wrath of God. The seven last plagues that are going to hit the earth containing the, last, uh, the, uh, the wrath of God. The seven last plagues containing the wrath of God. If we think AIDS, AIDS is a plague, 
wait till these ones hit. So Revelation 15, verses 2 through to 4. I'll just read verse 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. Why? For thy judgments are made manifest. The final scene, and we'll finish on this, and we'll finish our introduction in another Sunday. Revelation 19, the seventh worship scene in Revelation. David was a worshipper. David was a warrior. Book of Revelation is a book of warfare. It's a book of worship. And uh, this one is the only one that has a bunch of hallelujahs to it. So you can say hallelujah with me. Is that all right? Revelation 19. Let me summarize the worship scene. It concerns the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of Christ to his bride. How many think that's worth a hallelujah? It's the seventh worship scene in Revelation, the only one that really has hallelujah on it. Okay, for your notes, Revelation 19, verses 1 through to 5. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Why don't you say it? When you see the hallelujah, say it with me. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and have avenged the blood of his servants in her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up for an ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Hallelujah. We'll have to finish our introduction another Sunday. Let's all stand. I'd like the musicians to come. I'd like us to sing one uh, worship song as we bring our service to a close. Let's sing Salvation Belongs to Our God Who Sits on the Throne. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.